on today's message from Harvest Church of God. Well, I want to tell you, it was God that gave you life. When you gasped and they spanked your bottom and you caught your breath and wah, it was God that put that breath in you. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. And no matter who you are or where you came from or what you've done, you can get in right relationship with God through what Jesus did at Calvary's cross. His blood, his life, his death, his resurrection works for every one of us to bring us into sonship. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity one more time to come to this pulpit and to speak the eternal Word of God. Would, oh God, that your Word is a lamp, it's a light, it guides our path and instructs our way. Your light inspires us and strengthens us when darkness is circling us all around. Your light is an inspiration, and your Word is light, and your Word is truth. Now I ask you this morning, Lord, that your Word would do something for these people that are assembled here. I thank you for what your Word has done for me. And help me to convey that to faithful hearts and hearers of the Word. Not to be hearers only, but to be doers of the Word of God. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 4, if you will, verse 1 through 6. We're going to read that as a starting place. Last week we talked about the wonder of Christmas and talked about the uh, astonishment of shepherds and uh, different people that are attached to the Christmas story. The Bible said they wondered at those things that were told them by the angels, and then they wondered at those things that were told them by the shepherds. And the wonder of Christmas is a beautiful thing. Worship is a, another thing about uh, Christmas, and that goes along with the story of the wise man who came to, to worship the Lord that were led by a star, a star that was a sign that led them and guided them to the place where Jesus was. And we're going to attach that, that signal, that sign, to our role in the world as people who lead other people to where Jesus is. Let's begin in Galatians chapter 4. Now I say as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is the owner of everything. There is an element in Pentecostal theology that says already but not yet. So all of us are heirs, heirs with Christ. We're all sons of God, and as sons of God, we're heirs and joint heirs with Jesus. And there is an already not yet, because the Bible said as long as he is a child, then he doesn't differ from another person who is uh, uh, simply a slave, although he is the owner of everything. So then that already but not yet is uh, underscored for us herein that we own everything already but not yet. Jesus said, all things that are mine are yours. Jesus said, I have come into the world that I can open your eyes to the fact that you are an heir and you are a, a person that's going to inherit. What was the words when the rich young ruler came to Jesus? He said, good master, what good thing shall I do that I might inherit eternal life? There is a treasure that is associated with being a Christian, and it's already but not yet. So we're waiting on another advent of the Lord Jesus, and that is the parousia. That is the 
what some call the second coming of the Lord Jesus. Others call the rapture of the church. And when that takes place, hallelujah, there's going to be a coming of the Lord Jesus through the air. We're going to be caught away to meet him in the air and we'll begin an eternity with the Lord Jesus. The Bible said, so shall we ever be with the Lord. So now in this existence, as long as we're, we're children, he says we are the owner of everything, but not yet. But he is under guardians and managers until the date that is set by the Father. And so also we, he's talking to the church now, so also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But then there's a change. Somebody say change. Ah, oh, come on, get with me. There was a change. Change. A change. What happened? Verse 4. But when the fullness of time was come, we were as children, we were in bondage to the elemental and rudimentary things of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman and born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive, somebody say receive, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Wow. And because you are sons, God has now sent forth the spirit of his son that causes us to cry, Abba, Father. What a difference Christmas makes. Because God sent his son and changed everything. That who we used to be, we are no longer because God sent his son. The things that held us in bondage, they no longer hold us in bondage because God sent his son. We were held into a, an existence that was all around us that's pragmatic, but we looked forward to a time when we shall be with the Lord forever and inherit all things, and that is because God sent forth his Son. Hallelujah. Promised. When was there a promise given? There was a prophet named Isaiah and the Bible said he prophesied unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders and of his kingdom and his increase there shall be no end. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. That one that Isaiah prophesied was the Lord Jesus. He also prophesied what he would do in his mission. He said we are he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we're healed. Because there was a first Christmas, because God sent forth his son, everything changed for us. We were brought into a new dimension in our relationship with God. Almost every verse in Psalm 37, have you ever read Psalm 37? It's full of promises. Every verse in Psalm 37 is a promise. There are so many promises in the Bible. You know what's more amazing than the number of promises which God has made? Even more amazing than the sheer volume of his promises is that he's always kept his promise. What he said he would do, he has always done. And when God said, I will send a deliverer, when he said, the scepter shall not depart out of uh, Israel until Shiloh comes, he was saying there's going to come a time when everything's going to change. And all the Jews looked forward to that, that time that that 
birth would take place of a child that was given. His birth was guided by God's hand and protected by his power and fulfilled by his word. The prophecy that he was the, the seed of a woman in Genesis 3 and 15 was fulfilled in Galatians 4, 4. Of the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49.10, was fulfilled in Luke 3 and 33. A king that was like David in Isaiah 9 and 7 is fulfilled in Matthew 1 and 1. A prophet like Moses in Deuteronomy 18.15 was fulfilled in John 6.14. A priest like Melchizedek in Psalm 110 and 4 is fulfilled in Hebrews 6 and 20. The place of his birth in Micah 5 and 2 was fulfilled in Matthew 2 and 1. The time of his birth... Daniel 9.25 was fulfilled in Luke 2 and 1 and 2. He was born of a virgin. It's prophesied in Isaiah 7 and 14. It's fulfilled in Matthew 1.18. The massacre of infants by Herod is prophesied in Jeremiah 31.15. It's fulfilled in Matthew chapter 2 and 16. I'm not hearing any amens and no thank you God in this house. In fact, his entire life was a fulfillment of the prophecy. It was saying to everybody, God does what he says he will do. So today we await the second advent of the Lord, the deliverer, the Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, because God promised that. Do you remember when there was a woman who sat at a well in a place called Samaria? It's found in John chapter 4. And the Bible said Jesus sat thus on the well. Being weary, he sat thus on the well. And he sent the disciples on into the city to buy some food and to buy uh, provisions. And while he sat there, there was a woman who came to the well to draw water. And that woman that you know as the Samaritan woman at the well, in verse uh, 25 of John 4, she said this, The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh. I know that Messiah is coming. I know God has promised a Christmas. I know that God has promised that a deliverer is going to come. Wait a minute. We're talking about a woman here who'd lived a pretty tough life. She'd gone through five marriages and wasn't living with the fifth one. She was living with another one at the time that wasn't even her husband. How did she know anything about God promising that a Messiah was going to come? Tells us something about her past, doesn't it? Tells us that somewhere along the line, somebody gave her a Christmas initiative. Somewhere along the line, she got informed that God has promised to do something. Somewhere along the line, she got the news that God is going to send uh, his son, that there's going to come a deliverer. That it won't always be like this. That God is going to change things. She said, sir, I know that Messiah is coming, which is called Christ. And when he has come, he will tell us all things. All of these things that I scratch my head and don't know about it. She's talking to Jesus. Says all of these things that are so puzzling to me, he's going to clear up when he comes. She said, all these things that burden me down and these things that are so challenging and so tough for me now, when I see him, when Christmas comes, when God sends his son, I'm going to learn all about these things that I have no clue about right now. 
When God sends His Son, I'm going to understand more about who I am and what I can be. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm not really that happy and I've had a lot of bad things in my life and I've not, not got a lot to talk about that's good. But when He comes, when Christmas comes, when Jesus comes, when God sends His Son, things are going to change for me. Anybody home? Is there anybody here that God has ever changed things for you? Is there anybody here that's ever been wandering in delusion and fear and frustration and, and fright and, and, and suddenly there was a Christmas and God sent Jesus to you and you experienced his presence and you were changed by that? Has there ever been an occasion like that in your life? If not, we need to pray because everybody in this house needs to know that God promised to every one of us, my son is coming into the world. My son is coming on a mission. My son is coming to do you good. Paul said this is a faithful saying and it's worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief, he said. God sent his son to save sinners. God gave his son to turn the light on. God gave his son to give meaning. God gave his son to give definition. God gave his son to illuminate the things that are in darkness. He said, I, she said, I know that Messiah is coming. And I know that he's called the Christ. He's called the Messiah. He's called the anointed one. He's called the promised one. He's the prophetic one. And when he comes, he's going to tell us all things. And Jesus looked at her and said, I am he. The one you're talking about is standing before you. The one that you have faith in is standing before you. The one you're talking about, I am he. Brother, when you realize once and for all that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that opens up all the promises of God for you. For the Bible said, Whosoever that believeth that Jesus is the Son of the living God, that he is the Christ, the same is born of God. Born of God? You mean when I come to the belief and come to the place that I accept that Jesus is the Son of the living God, it's at that moment I am born of God. Born of God. That realization that he is who he says he is. That realization that God sent him into the world. That realization by faith that what he did at Calvary's cross makes the difference for every one of us. What a difference Christmas makes. Because there's no way you can disassociate the manger from the cross. The manger and the cross are connected. Because if there were no manger, there could never be a cross. And if there would be no cross, then the manger is useless also. The two are so connected in what Jesus came to do and what he came to accomplish that the one is dependent upon the other. And one cannot exist without the other. In 1 Timothy, the Bible says that without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness that God was manifest in the flesh. Great is the mystery 
of godliness that God was manifest in the flesh. What a great mystery that is. That God, who is spirit. The Bible said God is spirit. Come on, somebody. God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is spirit. No man hath seen God at any time, the Bible said. Because he's spirit. He's not tangible. He's not in reality like we are. There's no way we can describe him because there are no words that are adequate in our language to comprehend who he is. His ways are so far above our ways as far as the heaven is above the earth. The Bible said, and who can know him? The one way you can know him is to look at Jesus because he is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the Word of God made flesh, and we beheld Him as of the only begotten of the Father. Jesus said, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, for the Father and I are one. Is anybody in this house listening to a sermon today? Brother, I'm talking about some devil-defeating, sin-cleansing, Spirit-welcoming news for every one of you. There's no greater news that I can preach than what I'm preaching to you this morning. Now, I can preach to you about wealth and health and prosperity and promise you all kinds of riches and all that stuff's going to hunt you down. But, hey, there's a lot greater message. And that message is that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. And no matter who you are or where you came from or what you've done, you can get in right relationship with God through what Jesus did at Calvary's cross. His blood, his life, his death, his resurrection works for every one of us to bring us into sonship. Family with God, relationship with God is all brought through what Jesus came to do. The anointed one, the priest, the king, the chief cornerstone of the building, the Lord over the house, whose house are we? The sons of God the Son of God, the Lord Jesus, the Bible said, brought many sons into glory. And that's a great mystery. Another mystery. A mystery that God came and dwelt among us. Brought about another mystery in that he came, died on a cross, and he brought many sons unto glory. Colossians 1, 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church. You see that? Which is the church. How many of you know the body of Christ is the church? Of this church, I was made a minister, verse 25, according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints. 
to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. What a wonderful promise that is to people who have accepted Jesus, that you have the hope of glory, and the mystery is that Christ, God, was made flesh and dwelt among us. The mystery is that you have been made a son and an heir and joint heir with Jesus and been brought into the glory that Jesus has with his Father, included in that same glory. And he said, that's a mystery also. The fact Paul said that God brought me into existence and he brought me to a place of preaching the Word of God and that God is using all of this sonship and this family and this heir and joint heir with Jesus to bring us to the unity of the faith and to bring us to maturity in Christ until we become the perfect man he wants us to be. I preach sometimes he's still working on all of us. And I told you at one time, we're just one big construction project. really is. God is chiseling away at everything that needs to be taken away. And God is making everything to become so real. Ephesians 4.13. Until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to the mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. The real truth concerning the corporate Messiah is that we, his church, his body, collectively compromise the fullness of him that fulfills all in all. Wow. Then God is doing something through a corporate, anointed, empowered, blessed people that is now called church? Galatians 4, 6, and 7. Because you are sons and daughters, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, that Spirit that helps us realize that He is our Heavenly Father. So you are no longer a slave, no longer a child, no longer excluded, no longer not eligible, but now because you're sons, God sent the Spirit into your heart so that you're no longer a slave but a son. And since you're a son, God has made you an heir. So when Christmas rolled around 2,020 years ago, God opened up a path so that you could be included in the family of God. By sending Jesus, he opened the door for you to gain entrance into the family of God. So when you say, I'm a child of God, that means I'm part of God's family. He is my father. Jesus is my brother. He's a son of God. 
I've been made a son of God. Thanks be to God. God has made a way for me to be included in the family of God. I don't know if you can get your mind around, wrapped around that. That's tough to get your mind wrapped around, to realize that God has included you in the family. Christ in you. The Spirit of the Son came to our hearts Filled with the Spirit, these spiritual synonyms all express the same truth, that we are His body and He is the head. Christ in you, 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, Christ who is the image of God. In Pauline theology, Christ is the image of the invisible God. The image of God, our future, our destiny, is held within the messianic seed, which is Christ in you. Christ in you. If Jesus is the first fruits of them that slept, and he is, if Jesus is the powerful expression of God's grace and God's love, then Jesus is the messianic seed. He is the life. He's the life giver. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And he looks at us and he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So without Jesus, you don't have life. Without Jesus, you're dead in trespasses and in sin. Without Jesus, you're lost, having no hope. I'm without God in the world. Without Jesus, you're groping in darkness. Without Jesus... Your life has never come to fruition. If you don't have Jesus, you've never lived. Because he's the truth and he's the life. Life begins in Jesus and knowing Jesus. When you get your act together, when you finally realize that without Jesus, you're nothing. Without Jesus, you have no future with God. When you realize, then you take that anointed seed, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, and you take him into your heart, he becomes Christ in you. Christ in you, the messianic seed in you, the hope of glory. So then you might say when you accept the Lord Jesus, you become pregnant. Because the messianic seed is now in you. Who am I? Well, you just told me I'm a son of God. You just told me I'm in the family of God. What happens now to that messianic seed, that family of sons that's conformed to the image of the firstborn? It is a corporate expression of Jesus as the redemptive provision. Psalm 22 and 22. I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation will I praise you. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. And ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him. And fear him, all ye seed of Israel. So we've got something in us that gives life. Isaiah 8.18. Here I am. And the children that the Lord has given me. You have not chosen me. 
but I have chosen you. Aren't you glad you're chosen? That word, that, that Hebrew word there has to do with favorite. Well, Brother Jerry, God doesn't have any favorites. Yes, he does. God is such a favorite, loving God that every one of you are his favorites. You are his prized possession, the Bible said. You are his treasure. You are his jewels. You are the preciousness to God. Lord, somebody ought to be in an aisle somewhere. I'm bragging on you. I'm telling you how great God thinks you are. Wow. Well, I don't have anything better than that to preach today than to tell you that God thinks you're precious. The Bible even says about you, you're the apple of his eye. Wow. God, his love is so great and his love is so vast and so immense that there are no words to describe it. The mystery. Galatians 4 and 19 says this, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ be formed in you. Christ formed in you. I think you're quiet because you're listening, okay? The mystery of all that Christmas activity began with a seed that was planted in a virgin's womb. Hebrews 2 and 10. You ready for this? Say, I'm ready. Ready for this? Hebrews 2 and 10. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting. That means appropriate. It was reasonable. It is fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, for whom and through whom everything exists, for whom and through whom everything exists. For whom and through whom everything exists. If you won't shout, I will. Hallelujah. My blessed Lord, y'all... If that won't get your fire going, you might check your wood. Your wood's wet. Y'all come to church with wet wood today. I can't build a fire with wet wood. Through whom, for whom, everything exists. In bringing many sons to glory, in bringing us into the family of God, in connecting us to God in a spiritual way, it was proper and it was acceptable that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. That God should make our eligibility, our access, made it through the suffering of an individual 
that our salvation, the captain of our salvation, who is that? I didn't hear you. Better. Who is it? Jesus. Yes, that's right. In bringing many sons to glory to make Jesus the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Now, what perfect means there is not eligibility or value or something like that. It means whole. In other words, he did it all at Calvary. He paid it all. There was none left to pay when he got through. When Jesus died on Calvary's cross, there was no more that could be done. He did everything that could be done at Calvary's cross. And salvation for us was made perfect through the suffering of the Lord Jesus. So Calvary was a place where Jesus died, but it's where salvation was born. Calvary was the place where Jesus suffered on the cross, but it was the place where the door was opened to us to have access into this grace. Woo! Hallelujah. What a difference Christmas makes. I will declare your name. Verse 11, both the one who makes men holy, who is that? God. And those who are made holy are of the same family. The one who makes people holy and the people that are made holy are of the same family. Lord, Brother Ford, I wish I had cold water to throw on these folks. My Lord, you need to wake up and realize what... Do you realize what that says? That Jesus who died for you and you who are made holy by his dying are in the same family. Both he that makes holy and they who are made holy the maker and the made. The one who makes you holy and the one who is made holy. They are of the same family for which cause he is not ashamed to call you his brother. Now, every one of you, you've probably got somebody in your family tree that you're not too happy about. There's probably some folks in your family tree that you probably don't ever talk about them very much because there's not very much positive to say about them. And you're kind of embarrassed. Nod your little head and say, man, I've known you 34 years. I know some of your relatives. Do you know that Jesus is never ashamed to call you family? He is not ashamed to call you my brother and my sister. Never ashamed to call you family. Wow. Have you ever been in a crowd 
when that loud, boisterous, antagonizing, distant member of your family recognizes you in a crowd, you say, oh, Lord, I hope he don't see me. Hey, I see you over there, Linda. Come here, gal. You say, oh, Jesus. Isn't it great to know that Jesus is never embarrassed because of you? And he's never ashamed to say, oh, have you met my, my sister over here? Have you met my brother? Come here, let me introduce you to these people. Never ashamed to call you family. Whew, I'm so glad it's that way. I'm so glad it's that way. I'm glad he feels that way about it because I hadn't always been somebody he'd be proud of. I'm so glad that no matter who you are or what you do, he's never ashamed to call you family. Isn't that great? He says in verse 12, I will declare your name to my, my brothers. The rest of the family, I'll tell them that you're my family. Boy, in the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children that God has given to me. Isn't it going to be wonderful on that day when Jesus presents us to God? And he says, Lord, these are the children that you gave to me. Boy, how powerful that is. Let me finish. The mystery of this Christmas activity began with a seed planted in a virgin's womb. Paul's burden was that Christ, the Messiah, through the Spirit of the Son, would fully be formed in a virgin church. You mean the church is also part, yeah, that's called the corporate seed. The messianic seed is Christ in you. The corporate seed is placed in the church of the living God. This glorious truth of the church of the firstborn, the city of the living God, the habitation of God through the Spirit is the result of Christ formed in you the hope of glory. Paul knew about that, Galatians 1, verse 15 and 16. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb. Well, Brother Jerry, I believe I know the doctor's name and it didn't have God's name on my birth certificate that delivered me. Well, I want to tell you, it was God that gave you life. When you gasped and they spanked your bottom and you caught your breath and wah, it was God that put that breath in you. It was God that made you a, a living person. He said, when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. Call me by His grace to reveal what? To reveal His Son in me, that messianic seed. Why did God put the messianic seed in me? So that I might preach. What do you preach about? Paul, Paul said, I preach Christ and the resurrection. I preach about Jesus. I preach about the cross. I preach about the blood of the Lord Jesus. Matthew chapter 1 is a 
book of the genealogy and the generations of Jesus. After 15 repetitious places, you can put it up there if you want to for me, Matthew chapter 1, it goes down through 39 times, 39 verses. It says, and so-and-so begat so-and-so, and so-and-so begat so-and-so, and so-and-so begat so-and-so. It gets so monotonous. Those of you who are purposed to read the Bible through, when you get to Matthew 1, it's tough. Because it's very repetitious. It's just over and over. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judah and his brother, and Judah begat Phares, and Zara of Tamar, and Phares begat Esram, and Esram begat Aram. And it just goes on, going down to the uh, 16th verse. It's still begetting when you get down to 16. I'll just say it that way. By the time you get to the 39th verse, it has gone through, through all of it. And Jacob begat Joseph. When I'm saying so and so begat so and so and so and so, look here what it says. And Jacob begat Joseph, who was the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Why did it not say that Joseph begat Jesus? Because he didn't. That's right. Joseph did not beget Jesus. Jesus was born of the virgin, conceived of the Holy Ghost. Jacob begat Joseph, and it should read, if you continued with the narrative, and Joseph begat Jesus. But that's not what it says. It says, Jacob begat Joseph, who was the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Well, hallelujah. The Holy Ghost knew better when he wrote the Word of God than to say that Joseph begat Jesus. Now listen. And to Jacob was born Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus. Verse 17 says this. Therefore all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon is 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the time of Christ is 14 generations. So that's three segments of 14 generations, right? What is three times 14? 42, where I went to school. Is that what you got? White Plains might have taught different arithmetic or something. Three times 14 is 42. So then there's supposed to be then 42 of those so-and-so begat so-and-sos, Right? Supposed to be 42 of them. 41 is Jesus the Christ. 29 is Saphael. 30 is Zorobabel. 35 is Akim. 36 is Eliud. 31 is Abiud, Eliakim, Eleazar, Matan, Azor. 33 is Azor. 34 is Sadoc. 39 is Jacob. 40 is Joseph. 41 is Jesus, right? Joseph was 40. Jesus is 41. 3 times 14 is what? 42. Well, we've only got 41 up there. Who is the 42nd? You're figuring it out, aren't you? Yes, it's the church of the living God. 
It's the church for whom Jesus died. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it by the washing of water and by the word, that he might present it unto himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without spot. If you take the number of man, what is that? Six. What is the number of perfection? Seven. Six times seven is what? Forty-two. Did you say forty-two? Then what God's great work is on that 42nd generation, the church of the living God, is that Christ would be born in you, that you would be conformed to the image of Christ, that you would be possessed with this seed of the Messiah, that you would birth the Lord Jesus in you. Could I say to all of you, the world is waiting today for the church to have a Christmas. The world is waiting for the church to have Christmas. Brother, the day that we birth the Lord Jesus and have a Christmas, then things will change. Things will change. Stand with me, please. God bless your heart so much for coming today. I wish I could hug the necks of every one of you. I wish I could look into every one of your eyes and tell you how much I love you and how much I appreciate you. I can not do that in any other way more pleasing to God than to tell you what I've told you this morning. That's my best way of saying I love you is to tell you the truth and preach to you who Jesus is and what he means to all of us. Hey, this Christmas season, when someone wants to talk to you about uh, sleigh bells ringing and want to talk to you about all of the frills and red-nosed reindeers and all of that, hey, that's so much cultural stuff. But there's one more reason for the season, the original reason for the season, and that is that the Lord Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Father, I thank you for the opportunity today to preach this gospel message and lift up Jesus. And you said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. I thank you for that today, Lord. And I ask you to bless people as we go out these doors that we have that divine seed, that messianic seed in every one of us. And I pray, oh God, that for people we meet, that they would recognize the birth of the Lord Jesus in our lives. Help us to be communicators of the real reason for the season. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.